Hi, and welcome to The Check-In. This is City Limits weekly newsroom podcast where we talk to some of our editorial staff about the stories that they've been working on and get a little behind the scenes look at that reporting. I'm Jean Marie Evely, the managing editor at City Limits, and I'm joined today by our Spanish language editor and reporter, Daniel Parra. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. You're going to talk to us today about a story that you did actually a couple of weeks ago, sort of at the end of the year, um, about Bronx Representative Jose Serrano, who retired at the end of 2020 um, from his role in Congress following a Parkinson's diagnosis. Um, Former city council member Richie Torres was elected to replace Serrano, who had represented the South Bronx for a whopping 30 years. Um, So your story looked into sort of his political legacy. Can you talk a little bit about Serrano's background, um, maybe his early years and how he got involved in politics in the first place. I know you spoke to some people who've known him for a long time also about that and his um, his love for Frank Sinatra, which I thought was fun and interesting. Yes, his love for Sinatra, he said it began when his father came back from the army when he brought some uh, Sinatra disc and he immediately fell in love with Sinatra, his voice. He said that it was like his first English classes. Uh, When he moved to the Bronx, then he learned the language and he is basically well known in the house as one of the representatives who knows more about Sinatra. than anybody else. And about his career, he began in the 70s. Many people told me that he was a bank teller. He was really well known by the community and many people knew him. And it began basically when Evelina Lopez Antonetti, she was a civil rights activist and leader with the United Bronx parents. She saw something in him. Serrano says that basically whatever she said, if she said that he was the guy, everybody will follow. And that's basically what happened. Serrano, for example, uh, some people told me that Serrano was respected. He was known. And many people thought that he will be a good leader to have. So in 1974, the seat representing the South Bronx in the state assembly was available. And Lopez Antonetti, so Serrano was the perfect guy to to get that spot. And after that, he really quickly began developing relationships with African-Americans, leaders in the Bronx and in Harlem. For example... I had a conversation with Paul Sharpton. He was, well, he's a a civil rights activist and they began their relationship back in 1970. Uh, It was a quiet, let's say, relationship. Nobody, not many people uh, knew about it. And that was the way Serrano liked to do things. He wasn't the guy that was always like talking to the media or things like that. So his relationship started back then. And by 1990, after Representative Robert Garcia was jailed for extortion, he had a like a good opportunity to jump into the house. Back then, he got the support from David Dinkins. And according to the New Yorker, he also got the support from uh, most other prominent Black New York politicians. For example, you can see that in his inaugural speech, uh, Jesse Jackson was there as well. So he also developed a relationship with him. 
jump into like more recently, he was in charge, the chair of the appropriations committee. And this committee is in charge of overseeing more or less 65 billion, a 65 billion budget. And that's where he ends his career. He ended up his career being the, um, the longest serving Latino representative in Congress that ends that ended uh, last year. Yeah, so obviously a very storied political career and definitely well-known and and sort of working with a lot of those sort of well-known civil rights names that you mentioned. Um, and you touched on this a little bit, the idea of his sort of political style being more of a kind of quiet behind the scenes thing. Could you tell us more about that and what you heard from the folks that he worked with about that style um, and sort of how he operated and his personality came through in the House? Yeah, this is something that was kind of incredible for me to find that everybody or all the sources that I talked to uh, said that it was basically diplomatic and measured politician, kind of like a very old school traditional politician. He liked to operate behind the scenes. He wasn't the guy on the spotlight. He wasn't, as I said before, he wasn't like doing a lot of media press conferences and things like that. He was the guy who was behind the scenes doing uh, agreements and working working on relationships uh, behind the scenes. So for example, civil rights activist Al Sharpton said uh, that Serrano was like a kind of thermometer leader not a, like a thunder, those who uh, make no's and lead up things. Serrano was the opposite. He wasn't a, like a deal maker. He always operated uh, behind the scenes. And yeah, that was the how, how many people describe him as, a, as very measured politicians working behind the scenes. Yeah, so definitely not like the flashy kind of political leader that maybe we see a little bit more of these days. Um, and so you wrote about a number of um, the things that he worked on over the years and sort of policies that were important to him and, and that had come a lot up a lot during his tenure. One of those being the idea of Puerto Rican statehood. Um, and Serrano himself was originally from Puerto Rico before he moved to the Bronx. Um, how did his sort of position on Puerto Rico sort of evolve over the years? And what did you hear about that? I think... And based on what I heard from different sources, his ideas evolve over time. For example, Carlos Vargas Ramos, he's the director for public policy and external and media relationship at the Center for Puerto Rican Studies in CUNY. Uh, he said that Serrano's position on Puerto Rico evolved. So at the beginning, he was an autonomous. Yeah, he was an autonomous. And he said that in the last 10 to 15 years, he moved to a state or an, an annexionist, meaning that he supported Puerto Rico to become a new state. And obviously, when I talked to Serrano days before his retirement, well, first of all, he didn't like that I asked that he wasn't like really open back in the 90s about this. Many people told me like that he wasn't like really open about it. And I also found a couple of articles in the New York Times because not many people, as I said before, he wasn't uh, covered much in the media, that he wasn't really open about his position about Puerto Rico. So he didn't like when I asked that. But now, or last year, he basically said that he supported either statehood or independence. But obviously, he personally supported statehood. He advocated for that for a while, and that's his position now. 
And so what overall would you say were some of his biggest accomplishments during his time? Your story talked about a few different things from environmental issues to, um, to some other political stuff. Um, what were some of the things that people mentioned to you as sort of the impact of his legacy? Yes. Again, this is one of the weird points where all sources agree. He was like an advocate for environmental equity. So many people told me about the story about the Bronx River and how he helped to clean parks and reviving the, the Bronx River. People who work with him also mentioned that he advocated for immigration. He helped people with questions about immigration if they had any problems with immigration. Uh, he and his office will, will help with that. Another, and this is again another interstate period in his career, in around 2005, he started a negotiation to get oil to heat uh, homes in the district. So many people uh, know him, but didn't know the backstory about that. So in 2005, he was involved in the negotiations to get the heating oil for the Bronx in Harlem. Uh, and he did it through a company that is majority owned by PDVSA. It's a state-owned company in of the Venezuelan government. And the name of the company is Citgo in the U.S. So Hirano spoke uh, openly with the media about it and complained uh, that the U.S. oil companies uh, wasn't responding to the call to help people in their his district. And that, that was like an interesting point where you can see a lot of coverage about the issue and his name in the media and newspapers. And the last point is the days before his retirement, he the bill that established the National uh, Latino Museum at the Smithsonian Institute uh, became a law. So he advocated for that almost 20 years and he was happy about that. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, so that'll be, I guess, uh, another legacy to kind of add to the list of things that will come because of his uh, tenureship. Um, and one of the things I loved that your story mentioned was also um, his work on the Bronx River and cleaning it up that he actually had a beaver named after him. Um, <laughs> there was a beaver in the Bronx River that appeared after many years of there being no beavers there. Um, I remember when I was covering it in the Bronx myself, everyone was very excited to see Jose the beaver um, when there were sightings. It was a big deal. Um, so that's definitely on the legacy list as well. Yeah, that's that's super curious because, for example, the New Yorker, the New Yorker never wrote about Serrano, but the New Yorker wrote an article about hunting or trying to see that beaver in the in the Bronx River. Yeah, the beaver, the beaver was a big celebrity. I think that there was yeah. recently, like you mentioned, there was like a bobcat scene in the Bronx. We're getting a little off topic yeah. here, but it's fascinating. New York City wildlife is always fun um, to talk about. It's it's again, it's interesting because. In less than 24 hours, he knew about it. So he's really, he's really connected. He's still, yeah, keeping tabs on his river, right? Well, thank you, Daniel. I appreciate you uh, coming to talk about Jose Serrano, who recently just retired after a 30-year career representing the South Bronx in Congress. And that was Daniel Para, our Spanish language editor and reporter, telling us about his reporting on that story. Thank you so much, Daniel. I appreciate it. Thank you. And once again, you're listening to The Check-In. This is our weekly newsroom podcast, um, where we talk about some of the reporting that our staff members are doing. You can check all of our coverage, including Daniel's stories um, in both Spanish and English on citylimits.org. And you can join us next week for another conversation with one of our reporters and editors about the work we're doing here at City Limits. Thanks so much and have a great week.